everybody. Welcome to season two of Inside Insights, a podcast brought to you by Zappy. My name is Ryan Barry. I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Patricia Montestioka. Hello, Patricia. Well done, Ryan. I love how you just roll that off your tongue. Not bad. And you know, today, Patricia is um, an absolute legend and she's going to bring a lot of value to this podcast. We've explained that a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But Patricia, your street cred with your kids, now that you're a podcast host, talk about where we're at on a cloud level. Oh my God. If I was like a three before, like I'm like a 33 now. Coolest and mom on the block. Nobody I cares. don't even know which is better, being a co-host or having this mic, this like Yeti mic. It's just like I've never bought any piece of electronic equipment that's made me cooler in my life. I mean, it's true. You look cool. You look like a natural. And for those of you um, who probably know this already, Patricia and I actually don't do a lot of the hard work for this podcast. <laughs> no. Um, so Kelsey Sullivan is uh, the, the woman behind the scenes who makes this all happen. And we've been creeping her out with our microphones. And Kelsey, I just like to thank you for organizing this podcast and forcing me to do it. It's been a lot of fun. Season two, it's all about giving value to you if you work in insights or marketing. There's a lot of podcasts out there that get into success stories of executives. We did some of those episodes last time. This season is going to be technical. It's going to be pragmatic. It's going to be punchy. And the goal of every episode is to teach you something you can bring to work the very next day. Everybody we're going to interview is somebody who we've learned to respect from their ability to get shit done. And uh, today's first episode of season two is a great place to start. Today, we're going to talk to Cedric Steele. Cedric Steele is the assistant vice president of innovation for Coca-Cola. He works specifically in the McDonald's division. What that means is he helps Coca-Cola grow their business with McDonald's. It's a B2B job. Cedric is, I mean, I can say a lot about Cedric. Cedric is a beast. He's a good man. He's tough as nails. He pushes his partners hard, but he's loyal. He's kind. He's a sweetheart. And he's smart. Yes. We're going to learn, Patricia, a ton about innovation in this session. I cannot wait. Should we just get right into it? Let's just do it. Let's hear from Cedric. Without further ado, Cedric Steele. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by Cedric Steele, the Assistant Vice President of Global Innovation at Coca-Cola, the McDonald's division. Uh, An absolute legend in the space of innovation and a great man. Cedric, thanks for taking the time, my friend. That is too kind. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely. Cedric and I are just saying before this, that's the only excuse we have to hang out is to do a podcast. So it's perfect. I don't get to go to Chicago. He doesn't get to go to Boston. And, you know, Cedric, I have my marketing team gave me a really cool microphone, which I'm geeked out about. But the people who are going to be listening to us aren't going to have the benefit of seeing the really high tech microphone you've got. It's, it's almost like you were prepared for this thing. Well, you know, it's more like a prop than anything. I just wanted, you know, I didn't want to let you down, you know, and I, you know, and then, then I'd, I had Mike Envy if, uh, you know, if you had that and I didn't have something. So I, I kind of went old school DJ here with the uh, articulating boom. I like it. Old school DJ. All right. So we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about innovation today. I'm pumped. Everybody who's going to listen to this. You're about to learn about innovation from somebody who's done it in all different categories and his focus on driving P&L growth is really refreshing. Um, and so I'm really excited to bring this interview to you. Before we dive in, 
One of the unique elements about the world you play in now is that you work for the sec- you work for the company that is the second most recognizable word in the English language, Coca-Cola, second only to the word okay, but you work in the food service arm of the business. So to educate the audience a little bit, because people, I think a lot of times, Cedric, people think of Coca-Cola, they think of 20 ounce bottles, fountain sodas. Talk to us a little bit about food service, because obviously you've got other experiences before coming to Coke on the food service side, but but just educate people a little bit around some of the dynamics within the food service industry. Yeah, um, I really have had just a fabulous ride since joining uh, Coke. And the thing that really I've found great surprise in is just how extensive uh, the Coke brand portfolio is, not only from the retail side, as you mentioned, but on the food service side as well. And I think the, the, the place that uh, I got the greatest exposure for that, just working, call it with two uh, global multinational companies, has been just the fact that, that each of those brands basically reach the population of Earth, uh, if you think about it in, in, in terms of scale. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the recognizability of, as far as the name uh, Coca-Cola. You put uh, the brand logos of Coke and you put the brand logo of McDonald's. I mean, they, they are things that are just universally known around the world. So yeah. uh, when you look at food service, you know, I was surprised to know that Coke was in a, a lot of progressive brands beyond just the fountain drinks that you typically will come to know the company as. So our um, uh, venturing emerging brands group was created about 10 years ago and they really have just tried to give uh, the Coca-Cola company entry into a lot of other uh, category spaces. That includes things like uh, vitamin water, uh, suja. Uh, We had uh, different uh, relationships like uh, smart water, uh, the minute we made uh, juice brands, simply um, there's just a a host of uh, brands. And many of these, uh, as I'm mentioning in uh, that you might be familiar with in the United States, you'll find many of those have scaled beyond the borders of the U.S. Uh, you'll also find uh, that the company really has, uh, I think, done a good job uh, under, under this mantra of beverages for life, uh, really trying to make sure that they have a meaningful presence in uh, all beverage categories as it relates uh, you know, to the way that people drink uh, around the world. It's fantastic. I, I think the reason I wanted you to unpack it a bit is I think we, we really don't understand in a macro the business that happens within the businesses we consume from. So, if you, you know, Coca-Cola being the consumer facing brand, but also such a strategic partner for the Golden Arches or other, other uh, customers that, that you have within the, the, the restaurant space. You've worked at Georgia Pacific, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola. I mean, these are just some of the biggest organizations in the world. So tell me, Cedric, how many innovations have you launched and roughly how much business has come from those innovations over the course of your career? Just so people can be grounded in sort of your background and and the way that you've uh, made an impact on the businesses you've worked in. Oh, well, wow. Uh, Great question. And actually nobody has actually uh, asked me that before. So I I would say if you, if you literally add up everything, it's probably been about 50 different new product launches, if you will. Uh, Many of those have been product lines, which might have, you know, three to up to 20 different SKUs uh, associated with each of them. Um, and so, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I, I, I know that it's been at least 
about uh, between one and $1.5 billion. But if you look uh, over my broader career, uh, it'd probably be a little closer to about two and a half billion dollars, uh, top line revenue, if you will. Um, unbelievable. That's, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. And, and, and particularly in a world where, you know, I work, I work in a software space and the truth is the majority of the, the innovations fail, even, even though we're, we fancy ourselves agile. I mean, it's, you know, we're to try to drive incremental revenue and not cannibalize the base is uh, really easy to say, not very easy to do. That, that's a good point. I, I wasn't counting all the failures in yeah. that. All right, let know? me ask that then. How many of the 50 that have made a lot of money, how many failures did you have? Do you, can you remember any? Oh, For the number rather? Well, I'll put it this way. I know the last time that I counted just for this job that I'm in, uh, when I counted a couple of years ago, we were at 700 plus uh, concepts. So, uh, you know, distinct, different new ideas. So, you know, you take a lot of swings before you might necessarily get that hit, you know. Um, and, you know, that's it's a, it's a big reason. I, I think our uh, partnership together working with Zappy has uh, really been one of those things that I've consciously have tried to improve my batting average. So, um, so although uh, I'll call it maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I would say my ratio of just raw ideation coming up with lots of uh, different things that I didn't know if they're going to work or not, that was a much wider end of the funnel 15 years ago. Now, I've, I've really have learned quite a bit as far as just trying to refine the focus on where I'm trying to hunt. And then also as you, I won't call it fail as much, but I'll, I'll say as you try more often, as you uh, get more experience under your belt, you get a lot more uh, efficient, agile um, in your ability to select things that you feel are going to give you a greater, greater probability for success. So that's, that's something that has changed over time with me. Um, mm -hmm. So Whereas before I might've taken a much broader uh, scattergun type of approach to it. Now I'm, I'm getting much more refined in where I want to focus. And that, that enables greater speed and speed is everything in innovation. Yeah. Speed to market, speed to execution. Absolutely. Okay. So there's going to be some people here who are maybe earlier in their career and they might be thinking to themselves, Hey, Ryan and Cedric, it sounds like you guys have messed up some innovations, but <laughs> uh, what are some of the learnings, right? Like you, you were saying you've gotten more focused and that's helped you, that's helped you miss less and be faster. But what are some of the key kind of pieces of advice you've picked up in terms of how to innovate in a way that's going to move, move the financial needles on the business? Yeah, I, I guess um, one of the things I've learned is that ideas are free. So uh, you don't need to budget the number of ideas that you have. You know, I, I, I think you're always better off uh, the more thought you can put to something. And uh, I think uh, at different stages, the more collaboration that you can get from things. I've also learned, and the reason why I say it that way, uh, collaboration at different stages, ideas can often be very fragile things when you think about the corporate environment. You know, so uh, by that, what I mean is often if you're coming up with a new novel approach to something and the culture uh, 
uh, of the organization isn't ready to receive it. It's almost like uh, when white blood cells get together and they attack, you know, um, it's like, uh, you know, there can often be a strong resistance to new and different. So um, often, you know, in that early stage, I'm working with a very uh, closely knit group of like-minded folks that are similarly striving for um, new ways to get things done. And I think as you uh, are able to get greater clarity about what that translates into a business uh, setting, then it lends itself very uh, easily and very well to bring others along the journey and get them on board with it. Um, and that's, that's something I, did, I didn't quite understand when I first started out. When I, when I first started out, uh, I would say, hey, we had an ideation session. We came up with 50 things. Let's go do 40 of them. And that, I found, was not effective in terms of, one, uh, demonstrating any kind of credibility about knowing what business I'm in and how to uh, take the idea and actually make it its way through the organization. And then two, uh, you know, the notion about resources and return, uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, lend itself to that in a manufacturing environment. You know, other environments where it might not be dependent literally upon the machining and the tooling, for example, you mentioned uh, in, in the software industry, uh, you know, you, you just have a whole different model versus what you might have in a manufacturing industry. I, I, I think the, the, real eye-opener I had, I, I got to visit uh, one of the teams over in, in, in Google just talking about how they think about new products. And I asked how many uh, launches uh, they do a year. And right off the bat, it was like, oh, at least 250. And I was like, because it, it, it the math of it's like, you know, like what, what every couple days or so? And they're like, yeah, we just, we, you know, that's how we roll. We, we think it through, we get to a certain part, we try it, and then we move on. And and it, it's you don't really necessarily have that ability to do that in a manufacturing plant necessarily. So right. uh, what what I find there is is just trying to make sure that you think the idea through as far as what will actually uh, be able to be manufactured. And then in a lot of cases, um, you know, it's not making what the original thing was was intended for. You know, it might be a modification that you change the process or you re-envision uh, what might come out of it. Um, and those are the things that uh, can be really exciting and really kind of turn the industry on its ear. Really interesting. Have you ever read the, uh, the book Exponential Organizations? I have not read that one, no. Uh -uh. So I'd recommend it and also to anybody listening. There's something in there around, you have like a baseline of business. It's a cash machine, right? It's growing, it's growing, it's growing. Yep. And you're trying to come up with sometimes disruptive paths forward to move needles. And it talks a lot about something you said, which is this notion of the existing base fights off innovation like it's a virus. In other words, like, oh, we don't do it this way, or that's not how our customers buy, or that's not how things move. And it is one of the main innovators' dilemmas, which is it's hard to get the, or the system to actually come on side. And so it sounds like through your career, you've learned that a little bit. So instead of saying, I got 50 things, let's run with 40. It, it read to me, and I was going to play it back to you. Maybe you can say a little bit more, but that you synthesize and get it down to a couple of key things and almost advance the innovation to a point where, hey, 
not only is it good, it's going to work. Here's how it fits. Like how far do you incubate before you bring it into the system? The salespeople, the finance people, you know, because to your point, you're not working in an environment where all you need is a Google Maps team and a sprint to ship a new feature, right? You've actually got to make syrups and cups and all different things and get them to different restaurants and, and stores and so on and so forth. So yeah, say a little bit more about that incubation period, because I think it's, it's relevant, not just for innovation, Cedric, what you're talking about. It's also change management, right? If, you, if a business needs to plot a new course, you got to bring the people along. So how, how are you, I guess, how have you, how have you mastered that part of your craft? Yeah. Um, I think that's an excellent point. You know, I, I, and, and what, what I mean in that is recognizing that innovation does not happen without people. And in order for people to engage, they have to have a vision of what's in it, not only for, uh, the company, but for them personally. Love that point. Yeah. And, and cause one of, one of the things that I, I find in my role is that often I'm working with a very large cross-functional group that might not necessarily directly report to me. And so those groups are often juggling huge backlogs of work that they've got to get done for the company. And so one of the things that I find is very important as we are thinking about innovation opportunities is thinking about how you can demonstrate that this is going to accelerate the organization's goals. Um, I think one, one very simple way of, of doing it that everyone tends to recognize is uh, in terms of uh, profit or at least being able to demonstrate over, you know, a certain finite number of years, uh, how the idea that you have right now has the potential to scale and then be able to create a, gener a, a, a larger return for all involved. Um, if people can't see the vision about where you're going with it, what, it tends, what tends to happen is it goes in the inbox amongst a hundred other different things and then, uh, you know, the speed gets compromised. And when your speed gets compromised, all of your return uh, diminishes. So people get motivated by, well, what's, how's this going to impact the division? And what's my bonus going to be? So all of a sudden, I have to go from this flip chart of sticky dot voting, you know, like in the years past, you know, to creating that into some vision that they can envision a box rolling off the end of the manufacturing line and selling and growing. So a lot of it has to be, you have to take it at different chunks. I, I found I had to really expand my knowledge about so many different uh, cross-functional areas in order to become effective. So I know, I know enough about supply chain to be dangerous. I know about, enough about manufacturing. I know enough about uh, R&D. I know enough about culinary. And when I say I know enough, I know enough to understand some of the challenges that those groups are going to go through. And so what I try and do is create a vision that they can wrap their heads around as far as one, how we might take advantage of the opportunity, but then two, it's not only about the opportunity, it's also helping them think through, hey, if we could a roadblock or a hurdle that we've got to navigate. Can I help you think about how we can do that together? 
mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, and I think the uh, thing that that's different now that I've gotten more longevity uh, and continuity in Coca-Cola and innovation and working with the partners at McDonald's. Uh, when I contrast that to earlier in my career, I was literally moving from one job to another every 12 to 18 months. And what, what comes very tough in that is that you don't get a chance to see the business cycles. You don't really understand a lot of the organizational dynamics. Uh, so when, when you think about complexity, like in Coca-Cola, we've got the Coca-Cola company, we've got the bottling system, McDonald's has the corporation, they have the owner operators, they have the various committees. And that's in the United States, right? So you start to multiply that times multiple countries, and it gets very complicated very quickly. So what's common in all of that is that you're still dealing with people. And at the end of the day, people want to know, where do I fit into this? How can I help the vision become bigger? If I do put my hours and my effort into it, what's the return going to look like? Those are like basic universal things that I found, regardless of where you are on the planet. Those are the types of things that people are interested in. If I put my time and effort into it, what's in it for me and the company? And the more that I can get people to see that, then the better we become at actually going from a raw idea to a real concept to a real prototype to, hey, this thing works, let's scale it and get it out as broadly as, as, as we can. I don't think I had that, that sensitivity when I first started my career. There's like, we could have a whole interview just unpacking what you just said. There, like, I, I, I could take this in 10 different directions right now. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of just like, you know, it's really just a fascinating answer. The empathy of, of where other people are coming from and their complexities in a world where we have to operate in matrices, right? Like we can't, the business models of the 70s where it was top down, rigid hierarchies and formal divisions, I mean, they don't work for a reason. So as you rightfully say, even a company as big as, as Coca-Cola, you're having to operate in a matrix and navigate cross-functional dependencies, right? So what, one of the big hacks that you said there is an understanding not only of what the other person is, is motivated or measured by, but also how their job works. And, and I think what's interesting to me about that is it's at odds with a lot of modern day workplace culture, which is job hopping oriented. I mean, I've been in the industry for 15 years and I still am learning stuff. So to your point, that continuity helps you have the intuition to say, you know what, John and manufacturing's hot button is this specific issue. So I need to think through that. Um, I mean, that's a masterclass in, in change management, my friend. That's, that's uh it's really incredible. And so I also want to come back to the dot voting. So dot voting is something I'm a big proponent of to get inclusive decision-making. Unpack how that works. So, and, and, and you know, I, I might even have a different definition of you, but that whole prioritization and dot voting. Tell, say a little bit more about kind of how you bring that to life within your organization. Yeah, um, I have really found that that has needed to evolve over time. You know, because uh, whereas... Um, Initially in my career, you know, I think it was sufficient just to get an idea for, in, in terms of a straw p- poll, you know, where people sat in terms of these ideas that we might come up with mm-hmm. uh, at the end of a session. The challenge in it was that we'd have like, you know, 
couple hundred ideas up on the wall and you still end up with a massive amount of possibility, right? So what I, I've really liked about the sticky dot voting was the fact that you gave everyone a voice. You know, it was your chance to take your thoughts to uh, review everybody else's comments and just put your, your, your vote, uh, which, you know, I think when you think about just democratizing the innovation process, just even, you know, people, people operate differently when they're in an ideation session. Some people are really gregarious and they really get into uh, being able to come up with the idea. Other people are really good at, you know, maybe seeing two or three ideas over there and they can synthesize it. And then you get other people who are very good at screening it, like saying, this one really has some, some legs to it. It might work if we do X, Y, and Z to it. Uh, when I say it, I, I felt like it needed to evolve over time was uh, the challenge I, I would run into is you would see an idea that might have four or five votes to it. Uh, but the challenge was it was scribbled out in such a fast fashion that you really didn't know how to translate that idea into a business concept. Mm. In world hunger. Okay, yeah, who wouldn't want to do that? All right. Uh, how do you do it in France? You know, that's a whole nother level to it that might have some uh, additional characteristics that you need to consider. What audience are we talking about? What supply chain? What product categories are we dealing with? And so as you get beyond just the raw, which I'll call a raw idea for the purpose of this conversation, once you uh, peel, start peeling back the layers of the raw idea, then you're able to get to a developed idea that can lead to a concept. Once you start drilling a little bit more deeply in there, what I find is it's not the number of votes that you get, but more the qualitative input as far as the uh, feedback and the opinions of other SMEs that can help you figure out actually how to execute that thing. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll give you an example. One, one of the uh, things I was working on at Georgia Pacific uh, years ago, we were trying to come up with some new ideas for, uh, for Brawny as far as ways that we could take that brand and uh, move it out of just the paper towel space, but into, you know, broader range of, of cleaning products. And I uh, used a tool at the time called Idea Central. It was basically a um, online uh, collaboration system. Okay. And uh, we opened it up to all the employees in the company. Um, and this one person sent me uh, a really elaborate description of uh, a way that we could uh, take an existing manufacturing line make a slight change to it and come out with a totally different product that saved $2 million a year. And this came in, this was maybe like the third submission I got out of 150. And it was so good. I just picked up the phone. I called the guy. I said, well, uh, amazing idea submission. Why did, why did you put all this detail into it? I mean, it was, you know, you really didn't have to do that. And what he said was, you know, I've been telling my boss about this idea for the last six months, but he keeps telling me that's not my job. And so I just didn't have anybody else to tell it to until you asked me the question. And so I've been thinking about it. I got all the 
you know, all the, the ways that we can execute it. And that was the idea we picked up and ran with. And we literally got 2 million bucks, like right off the bat. And uh, I would not have gotten that if I hadn't given that employee the opportunity to voice their input. And what was critical was the fact that he was a line worker. Those are the people that you don't usually necessarily have in the ideation session. So, um, so by that, what I, what, I, what I learned was ask people maybe that you don't always ask. Ask people that are closest to the base of knowledge uh, and give them uh, just some room to be creative. I, honestly, but, that strikes a chord with me because you know, I, I view a lot of my job as a leader is to synthesize ideas. And to the point of that frontline person, they're, who's closer to the business in many ways? The actual frictions, the actual day-to-day stuff. And I, so I, I actually did this for our 2021 planning now, two, or in 2020 planning. I ask everybody, what should we be working on? And the ideas you get back from people, if you're willing to listen, are incredible. But it, it, does, it does challenge, I mean, you're obviously able to do it in innovation capacity, but that innovation to me should be fluid ongoing within organizational structures if we, if we do this. Absolutely. Right? Like, how the hell can somebody who's that passionate about something be told, you know what, don't worry, it's not your job. I mean, at the end of the day, if they have a vision for something, like I think our, our job as leaders, particularly your job in synthesizing innovations is to spot that. So yeah. I think, you know, in that business at that time, that's ahead of its time. And I just think that's a really well, profound insight. Like everybody's and, got good ideas. And you know, the thing is you still, you know, you, you hear very similar things just framed up a little differently, uh, even, even today, you know, yeah. uh, we got to stay focused on our priorities. Don't do that right now. It's a distraction. That's not our responsibility. You know, and I, you know, what, what, what amazes me is often, um, you know, you time and time again, I see senior management at different places assume that the outside consultant has the answer. They will tend to go to that place versus turning the problem over to the employees. And what I see there often is a tremendous expenditure that goes on, not only in terms of just the the outflow of money, but the learning curve that it takes for that outside consultant to understand. And that's a different thing versus have them get exposed to what you do. Having them understand is a very different thing that, that requires a lot more, I think, deeper insight and properly harnessed the employee base that you have. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll put uh, a bet down every time on the employee base to figure it out with the right motivation versus somebody from the outside, generally just because they invest not only so much time, but they have their livelihoods uh, tied up on it. Yeah. And, and I, I think just given the right amount of channeling, you can get just a tremendous amount of greater value out of the employee base. You know? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I was just thinking in my head, who know like if I was to say uh, we need to make Cedric on Zappy more successful? Who knows how to do that more than Bailey? For those of you who don't know Bailey, Bailey's Cedric's customer success manager. It isn't going to be some outside consultant, and frankly, it isn't going to be me because who's going to be closer to the actual interactions than the person who's who's on the ground? 
I, I have a long pet peeve that I don't know if I've ever talked to you about. It's actually about consultants. Um, and, and the joke that I always make, Cedric, is it always sounds good on the whiteboard, right? And so like, it's your point of bringing people along. It's like, you're doing that because you know that the very simple execution of like, oh, it'll work because the consultant or because I said so is a deeply flawed set of logic because John in supply knows that this person in legal has these dependencies. And, uh, you know, I brought in a consultant to work on something and I was amazed at how simple it was in their brain to make extreme organizational change. Um, yeah, and, uh, right. You, know, you said when you um, hire people, you think about people that love insights. And, you know, it, and that's just kind of like a, re a reality that goes on to it. What, what, what I wanted to say just to uh, build upon that, and, and it really is this notion about kind of the, the change or evolution in, in, in research the way that I see it right now. I remember I, it, it used to be the starting point would be asking, what do we want to learn? What do we want to know? What do we feel we can gain from doing the research? Yep. And I totally ask different questions now. I start with, what do I want to do with it? What do I feel would be useful knowledge to make better decisions? And I, I, I will only use research partners that I know have the goods, you know, in terms of the fundamentals there. But the thing that I really, really, really value is the push and the pull that comes through partnering discussions, like at a strategic level. You, you mentioned uh, Bailey. I got to give a couple other shout outs. Ellen's tremendous. Uh, Patricia has been fantastic. And the reason why I turn to people in these roles is because that thought partnership is not something that you can go out and you can easily get from other places, you know, which is really then becomes a function of what is our company's culture and orientation to how we think about insights and research. And then more importantly, what people do we put there and how empowered are those people? So I, I, I really have um, valued it when I can, uh, you know, uh, reach out to, uh, you know, Bailey or uh, Ellen or Patricia and say, hey, I've got a problem. I need you to help me think it through. And rather than immediately going to here, put this, use this tool it's like, well, let's think about like what the plan is. How are we going to use it? Where are we going to get out of it? That's what I get. I get so much more uh, value out of is, uh, is thought partnership that helps me figure out what can I do with what I learned. That's, that's what I really like. I love it. Is that, it was actually a, a perfectly uh, accidental transition because I was going to say, we would talk about <laughs> innovation, but where do consumers come in? So actually, you, you like, you're in my head, man. So, and it's funny, the point you make there around thought partnership, proven growth tactic, by the way, not just the right thing to do. Gartner put out a study that showed the vendors that grow are those that have knowledge, a unique perspective, challenge their customers thinking and help provide a clear path forward. And so that narrative, and there's, it's one of my favorite data sets I've ever looked at, it flies in the face of the customer is always right. It, you know, the, the customer's probably right, but, you know, 
you're not coming to a company like Zappy or any other partner you have to, you know, to do something low value. You're, you want help. I mean, and I, I often say to our staff, it's not our customer's job to figure out how to use Zappy. It's our job to make them successful. And I, and I think that, that to me translates to all different types of businesses. Because even in your business, at the end of the day, that innovation, you got to convince McDonald's to then convince the owners and the operators and the franchisees. And there's a certain tactic that you need to do and you're, what you're using is all the different levers you've got to provide that perspective. And, and I think that um, for your perspective as both a buyer and a seller, um, you're, you're seeing, you're valuing it on one side, as you say, but you're also doing it rather intuitively within your, your day job. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and that's an excellent point, Ryan. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I think that whole notion of the customer's always right is just a dated place to start. Um, and, and, and by that, what I mean is that the customer and I, and I, and I, even I feel like, like, I feel a little odd using the word the customer, but, um, I, I feel like the clients that I deal with are looking to be the very, very best at what they do. Yeah. And they are not content with complacency. They're not content with doing things the way that they've always done it. They are not content with us bringing an agenda based on what we want to do either. And so um, rather than the, the, the phrase of the customer always being right, I feel that the customer always wants to win. And I think their basis for winning is getting really good solutions that their consumers, their guests really find compelling. And so uh, in order to, to get to that space, we just have to be curious as hell about what is it that they want? What it, how, and, and more importantly, how does that need to evolve? Because the one thing that is a, a, a real certain is that things are absolutely not static. And even uh, uh, apart from uh, the dynamic of time, you got this dynamic of uh, just geographical differences. Uh, you know, you, you take the, the United States right now, um, it, it's like you got 50 countries, you know, in a lot of regards, as far as how the local governments may act, what the local attitudes may be, what the uh, local competitive dynamic may be. I mean, certainly there's some commonalities, you know, but but I, I feel like unless you really understand at a granular level what you're dealing with and what's influencing people's lives and their livelihoods, that you really can't uh, claim to, to, to be able to know what's, what's going to work unless you have that, that curiosity to try and figure it out. And I've, I've always, uh, the, the thing that I absolutely just love about innovation is I've always felt like it's this giant puzzle or game. where Right. I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out and it just keeps changing uh, every day. And that's what keeps me on my toes. So I, um, I, I just really love that whole process of, of just being aggressively curious. And then aggressively. as, as I, as I get those answers along the way, I'm trying to make sure that um, my customer doesn't get blindsided. Because you get blindsided if you just keep looking at the same old data in the same old way. Yes. You know, yeah, I don't want that to happen. Wow. 
uh, Cedric, I got to tell you something. This is a podcast interview and you just got me fired up. You got me extremely motivated this afternoon. Everybody who just listened to this is going to be a better professional and business person. Um, but I want to thank you. You're a good man. I, every time I talk to you, I leave inspired and I feel like I'm smarter. Um, that curiosity point just really resonates with me. Um, and I also want to congratulate you because it's rare you listen to any media today and the words new normal or COVID or whatever aren't, are not mentioned. And what I've taken away from this is the constants of the way people move and the way organizations move and the way successful people think independent of good times, bad times. Uh, so I wanted to give you kudos because uh, I don't know how many more podcast interviews I'll do without <laughs> hearing about what's happening around us. So I appreciate that, man. It was just, this awesome. is a welcome break. <laughs> hey, glad to do my part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Yeah, ab absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, you know, Ryan, any, any, any time, uh, any subject, I always have uh, such a fun time talking with you because you, uh, you ask some very uh, thought provoking questions, which, which, uh, you know, I, I, I got to keep my, my gray matter fresh. So uh, it's always, uh, always fun, you know, have, having a conversation like this. with For sure, man. I got to keep you on your toes. Wow. That was, that amazing. was awesome. I knew it was going to be awesome, Patricia, when we reached out to Cedric. I didn't expect him to bring that much heat. So for those people who were part of season one, you know that Babita has transitioned away from the podcast because she's kind of got a busy job these days. But because this season's all about practical transformation tips, it was kind of a no-brainer for Patricia to join me because, Patricia, that's actually what you do for a living, isn't it? It might just be what you keep me on retainer for, Ryan Barry. It's, I mean, I keep you on retainer for a lot of reasons, but this is actually <laughs> your day job. Sometimes you serve it's as my, my shrink. Day job. Um, <laughs> or dog sitter. Dog sitter, shrink. So, Patricia, let's talk about innovation. Cedric is a boss. We both work with him, so we know him a little bit. But I think you probably learned a few things from that interview. So, oh, I did. So what we're going to do this season, which is different, is Instead of talking about misunderstandings, your job is going to be to actually synthesize the learnings for people that you took from the interview to help them get something practical. So take it away, Patricia. Talk to us. What'd you learn? Did you know that Cedric, I mean, I'll tell you the, the, my, my um, summary of what we learned from Cedric in a second, but one of the things that just amazes me about Cedric is in any conversation with him, he just simply lays out these sentences, these, these phrases that are golden quotes. I wrote down 11 quotes from what he said that are things that could belong in like a, in a, in a postcard and one of those famous books that goes to the New York bestsellers. The first <laughs> one that I wanted that I want, I mean, it wasn't the first one he said, but the one that I want to start this off with is that he said that innovation is a game. It's a puzzle. I love the fact that he sees innovation as something that is a, a, a pleasant thing, something that people do for fun, but challenging as well. Because puzzles, as we all know, I mean, there are 10-piece puzzles and there are 10,000-piece puzzles, but they're all challenging. And so he acknowledges mm -hmm. that innovation is not something easy to do. Another of his amazing quotes leads me to the second point. Ideas are free. What does this mean? There are many of them, right? So it's really hard, this is where the puzzle piece comes in, to make sure that we have Number one, the right ideas, and I'll get to that in a second, which he explained very carefully. But number two, knowing how to tackle them, because he said, quote number three, you take a lot of swings before you get that hit. Yes. That's 
oh my God, that's a, that's a sports quote that even I get. And I'm not like sports savvy. So that was amazing because he said that because the ideas are free and because you have to do a lot of things, you have to make sure that you're asking the right questions. Another very important quote and asking the right people. Another very important thing that he said, because at the end of the day, you have to make sure that you have the right raw material. And that's what he was telling us about, you know, more than that, more than getting the right ideas in the right order from the right people. He made me think of something that didn't, he didn't even have to say overtly. He talked about ideas and he talked about innovation, having to involve people. And all of a sudden he had me thinking about people on both sides of the fence, not only the people that are in the, in the customer side, as in the owners of the brand and the equity, but he had me thinking about the people on our team, the people on the insights team, because at the end of the day, insights are the ones that make sure the customer is not blindsided. Mm-hmm. Number five golden, right? That's what we do. That is a good we, one. Dedrick, you're like a quote machine, man. He is. He's, he's <laughs> a master. I told you he was a beast, right? So when he was ta- when he was talking about that, he talked about the fact that insights has a very crucial role in making sure that the innovation journey goes well. He talked about making sure that everybody involved, the people involved, in order for innovation to exist, he said, people have to be involved. And in order for people to be involved and engaged, you have to give them the vision. So immediately my brain went to, oh, okay, I understand. And then he said, insights people need to know what part of the business they play in innovation. And the customer, the end user, needs to know what part of the portfolio the new innovation fits into. Think about that. It's amazing. I hadn't, I mean, it's stuff that you think, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense, but I hadn't thought of it in that clarity. So before we start innovating crazy, like, you know, scatter, scatter gun, I think there's a scatter gun, right? So what I was raised to say is throw pickles against the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> I think <laughs> I got pasta. Equation. I think I yeah, got possibly, pasta yeah. against the wall, but I, I, he, he's much more elegant than you and me together, my friend. Yes, Nothing personal, but he said, you go from using a scatter gun to using a laser gun. Right. And then I thought that was beautiful as well. That's quote number seven. Just saying, I'm putting them out there so you all know which ones I thought were the top 10. So he said, get your innovation, get the right ideas, ask the right questions from the right people. How do you make sure they're engaged? Give them a vision, not only an internal vision, how innovation fits into the scheme of business, but an external vision. How is this innovation going to fit into my portfolio and what's in it for you, right? Then he's going to take, he takes all that and he says, okay, let's figure out where they work and how they work. And that's when he says, you go to a laser gun and you make sure that it's part of the business. It's going to add so to the business, right? And that's how you get innovation. That's why you test. That's why you test asking the right things, making sure you're asking the right questions. And then he said, quote number eight, that I thought was amazing. Who have you not asked? So this is not only who have you not asked for ideas within your company, who have you not asked to give you feedback on your ideas, but also immediately my mind went to the customer, to the end user. Who have we not asked? You know how we have the three mores and more people, more more usage and more money, right? Have we looked for opportunities that are right outside our scope of vision? Are there any consumers out there that you haven't asked that maybe they might be interested in your new innovation? People that are right there, you know, that maybe haven't tried you yet, but could try you with your new innovation. So think about that quote that, that um, Cedric gave us. Who have you not asked? Ask that. them a different question. Love it. Quote number nine, right? And so he took and wrapped this all beautifully and said, in order for you to have a good innovation path in order you for you to have a new good journey make sure you always know that it's a game it's a complicated game but you start with a lot of information and you make sure that you whittle it down appropriately and you do that by asking the right people 
the right questions. Sometimes the right people and the right questions are not the ones you've already asked many, many times before, but yeah. new questions and new people. Always make sure that you tell the people that are helping you in your journey where they sit in the whole process, why they're important, why it's important to them that we get a good insight. And then I'm going to leave you with the last golden nugget, which is very self-serving and I love it. Right? He said, always look for thought partners. Always look for thought partners. So when you're looking for people to help you, it's all about making sure that you think you get people to help you think. Because at the end of the day, and this is the bonus one, customer isn't always right, but customer always wants to win. And that's why they look for thought partners. Yep. So what you have to do is you as the insights person, you're the thought partner to your stakeholders inside the company right? You're their thought holders. And we at Zappi, we're the thought holders to the thought partners to you. So it's all a large journey. We have to all make sure that we know what part we play. You know, what's funny before quote 10, I was going to latch on to the quote about the anchoring and the vision, but I think that one's, uh, I'm going to make two comments because I like both of those a lot. Um, the first, the first one or the last comment you make is so important to me because it is the job of the partner to set up the stakeholder for success, not be an order taker. Otherwise, totally. otherwise, good luck having a job in four years because some software is going to replace you. It's our job to do this. And I think it's, it's, it's a skill, Patricia, that more people have than they think. And it's a quote you say all the time. They just got to lay the egg. They just got to get comfortable doing it because I, I personally I have a lot of people that I employ but I view them as people who are in place to tell me what to do. Tell me where we should be going. Tell me how we should change and ultimately make changes. Um, which brings me to the second point. I was, I went through this experiment in Q4. You were part of it. You just didn't know it was an experiment. <laughs> I said to myself, if we give people very little direction, here's why we exist. Here's the strategy. What are you going to do in the next 18 months to pull it off? I had a feeling I would be blown away by the level of thinking, planning, coordination, and innovation that happened. It's exactly what happened. And Cedric says that very well in our interview. If people know the direction to travel or they know the purpose and they're set up with the right resources to be successful and they're empowered to make decisions, they will innovate. And, and it brings you to the other point, which is you miss a lot in innovation, right? So, so knowing that means it's okay to fail. It's about learning from failure. So I, I think, yeah, I mean, I could have talked to Cedric all day about this. I missed him, actually. He's somebody who I like to see in person. Uh, maybe, Patricia, as soon as we both get vaccinated, we can fly to Chicago and visit him. Totally would be cool. I also want to meet that guy that um, he was talking about that had the idea that nobody had asked him. Remember that one? He said, and he, he oh, yes, talking about yes. innovation. I, I want to meet that guy. That guy's like, I've been talking about this idea for six months. That's when Cedric said that one of the famous quotes, who have you not asked? I don't think I'm going to forget that one for a long time. And I mean, you could look at so many businesses and so many examples of that happening. The idea, and this is why I think organizations are changing. You have to let the people closest to the problem and closest to the customer innovate versus the ivory tower alone. You, know, exactly. you obviously need executives and strategy departments, but- it is the reason that guy had that idea is because he was close to the problem. He, yeah, he was right there doing it. I mean, what's important for me is that Cedric reminds us all, right? At least he reminded me and I've been around the block a few times yet. Cedric reminds me that you don't have to be an expert. You just have to know what you know. And the more you do something, then you can become an expert. But just because you think you're an expert and I'm not talking the circles, I promise, doesn't mean you know it all. So 
Let me re- let me rephrase that. You don't have to be an expert to give good input. How you know the more you work on it, the better you get at it. But you're never going to know all of it, and that's why you, we always have to be iterating. We always have to be improving, not only on our products and our services, but on ourselves and how we think and who we yeah. ask. That's so important not to not to take ourselves so seriously that we think we know all the answers. Let's think of somebody else's input. Maybe they have a better question. I love it. Well, and that that's the genius behind the the lesson Cedric taught us in the in the interview. He is arguably one of the more accomplished innovation people I've ever met, but has the humility to say, Hey dude, on the ground, what do you got? What's broken? What am I missing? And that is actually expertise. Patricia episode one's in the books. We got a lot of goodies coming next episode. We're actually talking to Joseph Chen, who was somebody who's gone through a rodeo of experience. So started at Millward Brown, career corporate insights person, actually worked with us at Zappi for a couple of years, and now is back client side at Mondelez. And we're going to talk to Joseph of how his experience in technology has completely changed the way he's approached being a corporate insights person. I can't wait for the episode, Patricia, and I can't wait to hear what you think once we're done with it. Joseph's the reason I'm here. Remember? This is true. I forgot about this. Joseph have, is the reason. He is. He is. So we'll talk to you guys more in two weeks about that. I'll tell you the whole story. You're going to love weeks. that episode. So if you haven't already subscribed to Inside Insights, it's available everywhere where podcasts are available. If uh, you're so inclined, we would love a rating from you. It helps more people get the lessons that we're sharing. If you are seeing somebody do really tangible work in their craft, we want to talk to them. Inside Insights at zappystore.com or just hit Patricia and I up. We're easy to find. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and be kind to each other. Go off and get shit done. Bye. Woo-hoo. Thank you.